1: Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, I'm uh, Jason Chaffetz, and uh, I'm filling in today for Brian Kilmeade. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you. Uh, thanks for joining us. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, happy President's Day to anybody out there that's uh, thinking about the presidents and, <clears throat> excuse me, wanting to take some time to recognize them and so we've had some great presidents along the way and it's kind of worthwhile to to understand what they did and how they did it uh but we've got uh a president who's under some pressure right now i tell you because uh we've got uh russia on the move potentially going into ukraine and uh we want to get right after it the because we're uh, i'm thrilled to have congressman chris stewart now i was in congress for eight and a half years uh, from the state of utah but in utah's second congressional district Congressman Chris Stewart is on the House Intelligence Committee, he's on the Appropriations Committee, He was a former Air Force B-1 pilot, actually holds a world record, fastest trip I think around the world, Uh, but he's also the author of a new book uh, that has just come out, The Final Fight for Freedom, The Final Fight for Freedom. Please help welcome us to the show, Congressman Chris Stewart.
3: Good morning, Jason, so good to be with you, thank you.
2: Hey, thanks for having us, look, um, one of the things you really bring to the table the impact that you make there in Congress is your understanding and your in depth analysis of not only the military background but also the intelligence background and uh you know the concern is that uh that Vladimir Putin's about to move back into Ukraine for the second time, obviously taking over the Crimea. Uh, Crimea and and now looking to make another bold move what what do you think is happening what's your best guess as you see it
3: yeah I I think you know the president's been pretty clear as have been many of the other uh, administration officials that Vladimir Putin decided sometime last fall that he was going to do this and the intelligence on this has, as I said, been pretty clear. And, and by the way, Jason, when I say that, the intelligence, you know, uh, I understand there's a, there's skepticism regarding that. And I share that skepticism because sometimes they just get it wrong. Uh, and the other thing is Putin has done this before. Remember, last April, he massed some soldiers on the on the Ukrainian border and threatened it. But this is obviously something different and everything that he's done militarily since that uh has been consistent with yes he's actually planning something we haven't seen in europe since the 1960s you know it's been two generations nearly and that is an actual massive land invasion of another country a free and independent country uh i think there's a possibility that we could change his mind but uh But if he doesn't go, it will be because of that, because he actually did change his mind, not because he never intended to do this in the first place.
2: Would he go to take Kiev, uh, Kiev, the the, the capital, or explain to everybody why and what is so appealing that Vladimir Putin wants out of Ukraine? I mean, I know they share a big border, but why is he doing this? I mean, he, he took over Crimea. Wasn't that enough?
3: Yeah, and that's actually the central question, isn't it? Is why does he want to do this? And yeah, he did go going to Crimea and the eastern, the the Donetsk region of of Eastern Ukraine, and that that's quite a bit different for a number of reasons. One of them being is the number of ethnic Russians that live in that region, but the rest of the Ukraine is very very different. And there's clear, clear evidence that the rest of Ukraine does not want to be part of Russia. They don't want to be folded into the former Soviet Union. So then you ask, why would this KGB thug? And that's exactly what Vladimir Putin is, although he's he's brilliant. And it, it essentially comes down to two, possibly three things. The first thing is, is he's made it clear. He said it repeatedly that the fall of the former Soviet Union, the fall of the Warsaw Pact countries – was in his mind and the mind of many Russians, the greatest catastrophe of the last century. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't the Holocaust, it wasn't World War II, it wasn't any of those things. In his mind, the greatest catastrophe was the fall of the Soviet Union. And he simply wants to rebuild it. He's made that clear. And And he said it publicly again and again, we will rebuild this at some point. And I think the second incentive for him is that he really wants to weaken the United States. He wants to embarrass. United States. He wants to diminish the idea of freedom or democracy around the world. To be able to point to it and say look how weak they are. Look how their inability now to be any any kind of player on the world stage. And the and the third thing is this, he he will not. He simply will not ever allow the Ukraine to join the West, certainly not as a member of NATO. And by the way, we we had no intentions of inviting the Ukraine to join NATO. Uh I mean not not in the foreseeable future. Not for many, many years. They are, after all, once still one of the most corrupt countries in the world. Uh, but, but he—the the final thing is again—he will not allow them not to join NATO or, or even more, just to lean more towards the Western Western influence. I think those are, those are the three simple reasons why he would consider doing this.
2: Um, you know, if you go and listen to the Russian ambassador to the United States, um, he says that, hey, there's no threat that Russia uh, is going to to go into Ukraine. Let's go listen to uh, clip three.
4: There is no innovation and there is no such plans. It was fixed in Russian documents that we conveyed to our American friends
5: and state department. Russia has publicly decided Uh, declared its uh, readiness to continue
6: the diplomatic efforts to resolve all outstanding issues. Russian troops are on a sovereign Russian uh, territory. We don't threaten anyone.
2: We don't threaten anybody, Congressman Chris Stewart. Um, Boy, when you got 100 plus thousand people, and now some of those are less than 10 miles from the Ukrainian border, it seems like Maybe that is not exactly the full and complete truth.
3: Well, when I heard him say it, I thought, "Wow, what a relief! It's good to know they don't threaten <laughs> anyone." Um, well, of, well, of course they do, and, and and I mean, look, the diplomacy and some of the public statements about this, you know, would be you know perfectly aligned with what we'd expect. I mean, for example, they said, "Well, we agree on principle of the potential of a meeting between Putin and Biden." Well, I mean, when would you never not agree to the quote, principle of a potential meeting? That doesn't mean they're gonna meet. In fact, I think it's very unlikely that they ever do meet. Uh, and it's the same thing with, you know, three days ago, they claimed that they were withdrawing their soldiers. And of course that turned out to not to be true. Um, and you know, one of the one of the things we were able to do that I think kind of tripped them up a little bit, and that is we talked a little bit about this potential for a false flag. I mean, it's a Tom Clancy kind of book, right? But it's exactly what they would have done. They would have pretended that Ukraine, you know, did some type of, you know, offensive maneuver, and that justified them going into the Ukraine. And I, they still may do something like that. I mean, we really are seeing the full spectrum warfare that we've talked about, and it's already begun. It's not, we're not waiting for it. In many ways, uh, the invasion of in Ukraine has already begun with uh, some of the cyber attacks and the misinformation and, and as I said, false flags we've already witnessed in the Ukraine.
2: Let me ask you about that. Because as an American who's just, you know, listen to the radio, they're listening to you and I talk, what's the threat to them? Is it, it is the cyber attack, the, the cyber repercussions. Is, and is that the area of greatest potential escalation involving the United States? Yeah,
3: I think it certainly is, and I would. But I would add maybe two more to the list. And and by the way, Jason, just for real clarity, I I, I know you know this, but for from speaking from my view, I would never I would never vote to authorize the use of military force in Ukraine. I would never support sending American soldiers to defend Ukraine. We don't. We shouldn't. We shouldn't go to war with Russia over this issue. They're not a member of NATO. We don't have the same treaty obligations that we do with other NATO countries. I think, by the way, and I, and I hope you have a chance to talk about it, and, and, and I'll reserve a little time to do that, and that is the one way that I think we could dissuade them from doing it, but I'm not advocating for war, but but if, to your question, if this happens, it's a catastrophe for global security and, and it affects Americans in, in a, a number of direct ways. The first is what you said, because we will impose sanctions on them and they'll probably retaliate with cyber attacks, which they have an enormous capability and they've demonstrated that. Remember the attack on our pipeline a little more than a year ago as just one example. And they could do that and, and much more. The second thing is it's going to have an, a, a frightening effect on uh, on energy, prices of energy. I mean, some an- analysts expect 140 maybe $150 a barrel. And when we see that, then you're going to be paying 7 or $8 a gallon for gasoline. And that affects all of us here, especially in, the, in, the, in, the, in such an inflationary period that we're already finding ourselves. And the, and the final thing is we shouldn't diminish, and that is, you know, it's a, it's a human catastrophe. You're going to see millions of refugees throughout Europe. If the global supply chain interruptions, and it, once again, the spike in energy means that there will literally be hundreds of thousands of people in third-world countries that starve to death because they simply can't get food because of those issues, which is, again, directly attributable to from vladimir putin going into ukraine so uh, I, I i'm not advocating that we get involved militarily but on the other hand we have to recognize this will be a cost for us uh, uh, personally here in the united states as this unfolds
2: so how do you dissuade um russia at this point i mean he's so far into it now you, you, yeah. you put those wheels in motion looks like they're in the wheels in motion um but how how would you dissuade him
3: Yeah, again, the president has threatened sanctions, the mother of all sanctions. It's not going to work. They've already got ways around the sanctions. China has promised to buffer the sanctions. They can't do it completely, but they can make a big difference if China steps in and helps. You know, the soldiers in Poland and and the Baltics, again, an important step. But Vladimir Putin wasn't going to go into Poland right now. The only thing that will dissuade Vladimir Putin is this threat of an armed and organized resistance he's willing to lose soldiers and the russian people are willing to lose soldiers in a military campaign to go in and take kiev and to occupy the country the one thing that he does not want and that they will not support is week after week of russian soldiers being sent home a body bank because every time uh, a a russian soldier goes p- past a ukrainian citizen he wants to know if he's going to throw a, a hand grenade at him or being, you know, snipers up on rooftops. And that is the only thing that Vladimir Putin fears. And by the way, Afghanistan, a recent reminder, should should remind us of the power of that ongoing battle that he might find himself in. As he occupies, Ukraine. And so I think that's the one thing this president could do is say, we will arm a resistance. We will support a resistance. We'll gather the NATO allies to support a resistance. And if he were to be very, very clear on that and adamant about that, I really think that's the one thing that Vladimir Putin is, is terrified of, and the one thing that might change his mind. But I don't think our president has mentioned that at all that I'm aware of, maybe once or twice. But, I mean, it certainly hasn't been a keystone of his of his efforts to avoid this.
2: Yeah, no. What I hear is sanctions, 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 sanctions. Um, and, uh, and then Kamala Harris, we've got to go to break here pretty quick, but – Uh, Let's listen to a clip to Kamala Harris in Munich, Germany, and her push for unity.
4: Understanding that our work together and our unity is a sign of the strength of our nations individually and collectively. I do believe, I think we all know, our greatest strength is our unity. This is a moment that has made that clear, that our unity is evidence and is a measure of our strength.
2: Well, uh, in our first trip to Europe, there's the vice president talking about unity. Um, didn't really think that through going into Afghanistan. That that, how much do you think is that a contributing factor? I've only got about thirty seconds, and we're going to have to go. Yeah, yeah. Well,
3: one, I'm confused because I thought our greatest strength was our diversity, but you know that's another issue. Uh, <laughs> hey, look, there's no question. <laughs> Good point. Ukraine. Uh, they looked at Afghanistan and that debacle. There's no question. That he looked at that and said, "Now is the time. Now is the time to go." They didn't do this under Trump. They said, "Now is the time to go," and it, and Afghanistan had enormous implications for that.
2: We've been talking with uh, Congressman Chris Stewart. He's the author of "The Final Fight for Freedom," a new book out. a uh, Member of the House Intelligence Committee and one of the smarter people in Congress uh, out there and. Uh, Thank you for your service in our Air Force uh, as well, Congressman. And thanks for joining us today on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. We'll be back with more. Stay with us.
1: Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back.
7: Hey, folks. It's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering... From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS?
1: This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: But if you believe Putin has made up his mind, what leverage do you really have? Why not put those sanctions in place now? The purpose of
4: the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence.
0: But if Putin has made up his mind, do you feel that this threat that has been looming is really gonna deter him?
4: Absolutely, we strongly believe, and, and remember also that the sanctions are a product not only of our perspective as the United States, but a shared perspective among our allies. And the allied relationship is such that we have agreed that the deterrence effect of these sanctions is still a meaningful one, especially because remember also, we still sincerely hope that there is a diplomatic path out of this moment. And within the context then of the fact that that window is still opening, although, open, although it is absolutely narrowing, but within the context of a diplomatic path still being open
2: a bit of a word salad there from the first time visitor to Europe, uh Vice President Kamala Harris, uh there in in Munich, uh talking with others and answering questions from reporters. Give her credit for answering questions. But it's all about sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. Now uh that's been the go to answer. Uh but uh Vladimir Putin and Russia went in and took about roughly twenty five percent of Georgia. They announced sanctions on that. Um, And here's uh, Barack Obama when when Russia decided that, hey, you know, we want part of Crimea. We want part of Ukraine. Uh, This is what uh, President Obama said at the time. Cut 26.
8: Today, I'm announcing a series of measures that will continue to increase the costs on Russia and on those responsible for what is happening in Ukraine. We are imposing sanctions on specific individuals responsible for undermining the sovereignty, territorial integrity, and government of Ukraine. We're making it clear that there are consequences for their actions. We'll continue to make clear to Russia that further provocations will achieve nothing except to further isolate Russia and diminish its place in the world.
2: So the President Obama, Vice President Joe Biden, uh, sanctions will, uh, you know, be a deterrent. And boy... President, you know, Putin is just a little bit scared of how bad those sanctions can be because, boy, he was on the receiving end of them when he went into Crimea, and that became such a deterrent. It was such an overwhelming force. Boy, I wouldn't want to step on that again. I'm not going to go back in there. The oven's awfully hot. I don't want to touch that stovetop. Are you kidding me? Sanctions, 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 sanctions. And we just heard from Congressman Chris Stewart talking about, yeah, you do sanctions, you know, that's part of the normal thing, but it's not going to be the deterrent that's going to be the difference between Vladimir Putin trying to piece and puzzle the the Soviet Union back together and expand its horizons and its territory and influence upon the world. I think people like Vladimir Putin and President Xi and others around the world, they just look at sanctions from the United States and just start to giggle. Like, what in the world? How many times have we said these are going to be the toughest sanctions we've ever had? Well, then why weren't they tough before? Like, if you're going to put in sanctions, give us the biggest, baddest sanction ever on the history of the planet. Don't tell me you got to go back and you still have more sanctions you can put on top of them especially when Russia is still in Georgia, it's still in Crimea, and now it's looking to take over potentially the entire country. That just gets under my skin because we have not used these as a deterrent. It's just a word salad from the vice president and the president. I've seen it happen on both sides of the aisle, by the way, but it didn't happen with Donald Trump, I can promise you that, because they knew he meant business. Stay with us here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right
9: back. (laughs)
7: We'll <laughs>
1: Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: We're taking the power out of your hands and putting it back with the parents the way it should be. We sat here last year and listened to you guys preach to us about Governor Northam's executive orders and how we must follow them. You guys remember that? We do. So here's the governor that comes into office, but yet you don't want to follow his orders. Why is that? That makes no sense. And it makes all of you a bunch of hypocrites.
2: Oh, I just love that clip from the Virginia mother, Alicia Vaught. She, uh, she's got the most important title out there, mother, um, telling it like it is there in Virginia to a school board who uh, was a little contentious. They actually sent the cops in to to have her have her removed at one point. But uh, I, we're pleased now to talk a little bit more about uh, the coronavirus, school boards, and all that with one of our favorites, Sean Duffy. Former congressman from uh, Wisconsin, uh, joining me on on Fox News, doing all sorts of hits and co-hosting or guest hosting shows and whatnot. And just an all-around good guy. And he's got, I think, 27 kids of his own. So, Sean Duffy, thanks for joining us. Hey, Jason. It's good to be
6: with you. Kind of a king of Utah. You might think I'm actually from Utah with nine kids. (laughs) Uh, yeah oh it's I'm from wisconsin <laughs>
2: yeah an producer with only nine kids um i can only imagine uh we're dealing with our three and, and now i'm a grandpa i actually have i have four grandkids now i we've just what, had what, our fourth grandchild that that was born over the weekend and um it's just the greatest joy greatest thing in the world to see your daughter give birth to a to a beautiful healthy little girl it's just it's just amazing and You've been through that, your dad, and, the, and a good one at that.
6: Well, first of all, I didn't know you're, you, you're on number four for the grandchildren. Congratulations. Um, and the first thought that came into my, my mind was that you don't look old enough to be a grandfather, but I'm going to take your word for it. Yes. And yes, I, I what am. great about <laughs> grandfatherhood is that you get to have fun with kids and you get to send them back to their parents. Where I'm still in the throes of my nine kids, and I have to keep them, especially when they get rowdy. I, don't, I have no one to send them to; they're mine.
2: So
11: that's
2: right. That's right. You and Rachel playing a little zone defense there. Um, listen, let's talk, let's talk some more about coronavirus because one of the great tragedies of what's going on is how this has been handled. I know Rachel; I've seen her. She's doing a great job on Fox and Friends there over the weekend, and and other shows. see here on other things as well. But both of you have been vocal about this. What's your kind of your take here we're, we're getting towards the latter part of of february what's your take on how this government has handled mask mask mandates and certainly as it affects the kids well you know i i think
6: that it's important for the government to implement policies to to keep people safe that's important and coronavirus was dangerous but you always do that with an eye towards freedom and maximizing freedom for people and i don't think the government has done a good job with that and you just you played the clip on the uh, way into our segment with this mom in Virginia, basically calling out the school board for um, for not following the directive of the new governor who said, take masks off on kids, which by the way, I mean, a lot of the studies that I've seen, and I know there's some some varying evidence, but masks, and, unless it's an N95 and worn correctly, they don't work. So we're putting kids in masks that don't work. We have kids that um, for the most part aren't dying from Covid, or really getting that sick from Covid. Now there's some who are, but Dr. McCary on Fox said those kids who've gotten sick from Covid have pre-existing conditions. There's other factors at play. So if you have a healthy child, you're you're pretty safe from from Covid. It's older people with comorbidities that are that are at risk. What what I found fascinating, you and I are in, we're in politics, is that the, the the school board member actually. When she didn't like what the mom was saying, she pulled up a picture of the school board member maskless in a crowd and called her out for not wearing a mask herself but
2: having a mandate on the kids in school. Well, let's let's play that clip. It's clip 24, yeah. and listen to this exchange.
0: Here's a picture of you right here on Facebook with a crowd of people. That's it. With no mask on. I, this Excuse is my me. time, and I don't no. interrupt you. Here's another picture. No with you with a new mask on. I'm sorry, Miss Vaught, you are done. Can we have a police officer, please? You should be able to I'm
4: say her piece. I've had to listen to people come and criticize me. That
0: doesn't make but it right, Jamie. You're right, but I had to say- Those are my, that's my family? That is all, then fine. What do you think about our family? I am not. Our family is being suffocated okay. today. I'm By done. I'm have Christy. My... Christy. We're coming for them, all what? of them.
2: Congressman Duffy, what's your take on that exchange?
0: <laughs> it's wow.
2: I mean,
6: you and I have been involved in politics. We've we, you know, we've run races, we've done town halls, we've been at places and people ask you hard questions. Sometimes they bring your family into it. Sometimes they bring your donors into it. Sometimes they bring hypocrisy into the questions that they ask you. And when you raise your hand and you want to run, guess what? Everything is fair game. And what? And so, again, don't be surprised that if you put pay, uh, pictures on Facebook of yourself maskless, but you're trying to mask my kids, that you're not going to get pushback for that. And, by the way, Facebook is public. This yeah, wasn't a private account. She put it out there for the world to see.
2: That's she's exactly a, a the first thing I thought was, I said, wait a second. This is, this is not some private photo of you in the backyard with your kids. You posted it on Facebook. You decided, I'm going to make this public. And now they put it up to show the hypocrisy. The school board member calls in the police to take her down. I mean, that's what they're dealing with in Virginia and I think other parts of the country.
6: And that was the kicker, Jason. So when you're going to say, I don't like what you're saying, can I have a cop come in and <laughs> remove her because I don't like her speech? This, is, this has been too normalized, Jason. We've been normalizing speech that people don't like. We want to bring law enforcement in to shut them down. And, and, and in the, you can't see it because we're on radio, but if you watch the clip – uh, it looks like a sheriff's deputy was actually standing by the podium after directed to do so. And then, you know, the other the other board member stepped in and said, let her speak. And I think the the cop moved away. But the cop was going to come in and shut down her speech yeah. to speak freely about what she thought about mask mandates. This is – we've gone to a whole new realm in America where, you know, those in power can call law enforcement to shut down speech. And And you and, you and I saw this all the time. There's a lot of speech. I don't agree with all the speech. I don't agree with all the – the barbs that were thrown at me, I'm sure you didn't agree with all the things that were said about you. But you have to hear it because that's what we believe in a democracy. We, we, we get to vet and vent and, and go to our elected officials and, and, and speak our piece about what they think the policy should be. That is American politics. And we've gone to this new realm of, no, 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 I don't like what you're saying. I'm going to shut you down and I'll have law enforcement do it. And law enforcement was all too willing to actually shut this woman down until another board member said, no, 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 let her speak, and basically, cops get away.
2: Yeah, that's the essence of freedom of speech, is allowing others with speech you just you don't agree with, allowing them to say their piece. And it's, it's always interesting to me that those that I find that often, not always, but often, those that preach the most tolerance. Yeah, they're probably the least tolerant among us. I want to play another clip for you. This is from London Breed uh, on the Meet the Press. This is the mayor of San Francisco, and it, it, part of it is this uh, sort of rewrite of history, where saying, "Hey, this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. You know, we're 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 above that. It's not." And I I was listening to this, and I thought, "Oh, yes, it is. It is a Democrat and Republican issue." Uh, let's listen to clip twenty-one.
0: We failed our children. Parents were upset, and the decision to recall school board members was a result of that. This is not a Democratic-Republican issue. This is an issue about the education of our children. And I think that ultimately it's important that anyone who serves in any capacity, whether it's school board, Congress, or as mayor, it's important to respond to what your priority is as a mayor or as a school board member, and that is the role that you were put in the office to do. So in this particular case, the board neglected their primary responsibility to focus on other things, other things that are important but not as significant as what they were there to do, and that is to educate children.
2: What's your reaction to that? Because I got to tell you, I, I get a little frustrated when they try to say, oh, no, no, no. That That's always the confusion they throw at it, right? When they know they're wrong and they were on the wrong side of the issue for a long time, oh, it wasn't a Republican or Democratic issue. We were all doing that. No, they weren't.
6: Well, listen, you, you hit the nail on the head because this has been a Democrat
2: issue. Democrats
6: have been all about masking, all about shutdowns, all about vaccine mandates. Um, Republicans have been on the side of freedom. And you've heard a lot of Republicans say, I think you should do this, but we don't want to mandate you to do it. And it's been Democrat ideology to force people, to restrict people, to mandate people. And so she's 100% wrong to say this is not a political issue. Now, do I think that in San Francisco, all these people who voted to recall um, the, the school board are Republicans? They're changing their ways? Absolutely not. These are still Left wing liberals, but what happens, Jason? Is and you and I know this all too well. Uh, there's a lot of politics that we talk about that I disagree with. You know, uh, the the Democrat members of the House, but when it comes down to your family, and we all know that the the pathway to success in America is a good education, and you start to impede my child's education for your ideology. Now we all stand together, and we all get really, really angry. And I care less about global warming. I care less about. Open borders. I'm talking as a Democrat. Open borders. I care less about um, crime. I care about making sure my kid can go to school and can maybe take their mask off. I care less about the name of the school. I care more about the math and the science and the English and real history than I do about um, than I do about these other issues that divide people. And that's why I think you saw the uh, the, the the voters come out in San Francisco and go, "We're going to remove." board members, and why now damage control, the mayor's coming in and going, no, 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 this is not political. No, this is just, it was about kids. Like, and all of us sit back and go, this is all political, because uh, it's been political theater from the Democrats from the beginning.
2: That's exactly, it's exactly right. Hey, I want to get your quick take. I mean, you got uh, your background in history is Wisconsin. you got proximity to to Canada what what's your take on what's going on with the truckers now that we're in I don't know what day number it is but boy I got to tell you the the unbelievable um tough stance that the prime minister has taken um accusing them of you know marching with people with with swastikas and and shutting down that whole city arresting people you see people getting kicked you see horses trampling people what what's your take on what's going on up there
6: well and they're calling them terrorists right and and you see what happened in america with even january 6th and school board moms i mean moms going out to school boards in virginia this was a year ago the the you know the Biden administration calling them domestic terrorists this language is being used to shut people down and here's i i was on the financial services committee you were the chair of oversight on financial services we were very concerned about the about this um five six years ago When banks started to say, "Well, listen, we're not going to bank people we don't like, gun dealers. We're not going to small, small, small dollar lenders. We're not going to vote a a bank, um, cigarette shops. Things you might not like, but they're legal businesses." Jason, banks were shutting them down, and there was a program called—and I know you got to go in a second—but there was a program called Operation Choke Point, where the FDIC was putting pressure on banks to stop banking these legal businesses. Now this is going to a whole new level. If you can't have a checking account, if you can't have a credit card, if you can't access your finances, you can't function in society. And they've used that power of finance to go after the truckers and basically destroy their lives. They can't buy a meal. They can't buy gas. And I think you're going to see that same thing happen here. And you saw the Chinese do it, this Chinese credit score, where they go after the leaders, they go after the finance, and they shut down freedom movements Worked in China. We're going to see if it works in Canada. Hopefully, these truckers continue to protest and push back and advocate for freedom because the whole world is watching them. Uh, and if they're successful, all of these tyrants who are in elected office are going to have the fear of God put in them that they're not going to be reelected.
2: Yeah, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, could not have dealt with this worse. To not sit down and talk with the truckers, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, the truckers were the heroes. They were the ones out there. We didn't know how deadly this virus is going to be. They were out there doing their job, delivering stuff for us. I've I've said several times. I just think if you're fighting against the blue collar truckers, you're probably on the wrong side of the issue because they. I, I've never seen them be the problem. And was it ninety percent of them are already vaccinated? They just don't like the mandates. That's right. And you're right. I think
6: that's a number I heard as well. And I might not like to go, we're going to shut down border crossings. We're going to shut down trade. But what happens is, and they were peaceful, but when you have no other avenue to have your government hear you to advocate for your God-given freedom back, um, you do things that are still peaceful, but make people listen to you. And that's what the truckers were doing, whether it was um, on the bridge from Detroit over to Canada, these other – uh, ports of entry, and also around the, the capital city, They're, they want their voices heard, they want their freedom back. And what's interesting is, I think a lot of Canadians, that saw the polling, a lot of Canadians were in favor of the mandates before this protest. Now a majority of Canadians want the mandates gone. And so uh, the, the, the truckers have changed the hearts and minds of people. And just one last point on this, Jason, I hear the left in, in America talk about police, police brutality. We need to defund the police, police are horrible. Where are they, you know, pushing back on Canada and the police brutality? You see several cops you know, mean yeah. a, a protester. Yeah. You see the, them running over. I don't know we don't know the whole story on the video, and maybe your listeners have seen this, the video of the horses trampling a couple of people yeah. as they were going through the crowd. Where yeah. is I mean, if that happened in America, they would lose their minds yeah. Over, yeah. over law enforcement. They say nothing. About police brutality in Canada, because they're okay with police, police brutality as long as the brutality is against a political opponent.
2: Yeah, Justin Trudeau was just fine uh, doing the sit-ins and and marching with the BLM. He was just fine with in uh, supporting in the country of India a, a year-long type of of protest. And it's so it, the hypocrisy is just stunning. This has been um, uh, great talking to you, as always. We're with a uh, former congressman from Wisconsin, Sean Duffy. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, give us give our best to all the rest of the Duffy family. But thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The call-in line, by the way, for the show, one 408 866-408-7669. We're going to try to get some calls if we can. Stay with us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, this is actually Jason Chief. It's filling in for Brian. But let's go to the call line. Uh, we have Peter in Canada. Thanks for joining us on the Kilmeade Show. What, what's, uh, what are you thinking?
8: Well, Jason, I can
10: tell you one thing. It, it's just abhorrent what's happening in Canada. The tyranny of, of this government is, is disgusting. The Canada was the
5: supporter of the world from World War II onwards, and it, it's just we need the support of the world to get this government out of power.
10: Justin Trudeau is more corrupt than Hillary has ever been, and the scandals are uh, almost on a quarterly basis in the multi-millions of dollars, and he he just is a power-hungry little
1: brat.
2: Well, listen, you're there in Canada. Um, my guess is the mood is changing on this. It's forcing people to think through the issue. Um, we love our neighbors to the north. We love Canadians. Um, they're usually just good, wonderful people, but it's pretty shocking to see how aggressive uh the Trudeau administration has been and and the way he's taking this the what bothers me is he won't go out and listen he doesn't talk to them the way he handled himself in in parliament and making the accusation about marching with people with with swastikas I think that was way over the line just go out and talk with these people have an understanding a deep appreciation understand the heroic efforts they went through at the beginning of this pandemic to do the things that they needed to do and Hey, we want to have open open uh, highways and, and commerce and trade, but we also want free speech. We want to be able to, to express the frustration. But oy, the way uh, Canada's handling this a la Justin Trudeau is just a national uh, embarrassment to Canada. Uh, it's a, it, it, an affront to everything that's going out west. This has been the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for joining us.
1: Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Well, almost, almost. Brian Kilmeade. This is Jason Chaffetz. Uh, I'm a Fox News contributor, host of the Jason in the House podcast, which you can listen to anywhere. Uh, and I also served in the United States Congress for eight and a half years. And during that time, I was honored and privileged to serve with gentlemen from Arizona, from the fifth congressional district there in Arizona, uh, Congressman Andy Biggs, who's joining us now on the line. Uh, from the, he's on the House Judiciary Committee. He's the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and not at all bashful to share his opinion on what he thinks is going on in the world. (laughs) Congressman Biggs, thanks for joining us. Jason, it's great to be with you, and I've never
10: noticed you to shy away from expressing your opinion either, my friend.
2: Yeah, that's a well oh, you get the judiciary committee together, you got a room full of egos. Look out. Uh everybody wants to talk. So, um but that's what the, that's what the the body is supposed to be debating issues. It's it was always amazing to me when I served with you like you know, it, now that the Democrats have control, Nancy Pelosi's back with the gavel, you got Jerry Nadler there and whatnot. How many things they won't talk about like The origins of COVID. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about immigration. We're not going to talk about the border. We're not going to do, I mean, if you and I sat down and made a list of all the things that Jerry Nadler doesn't want to talk about, they just happen to be all the issues of the day. Exactly right.
10: And I never forget that everything you were talking about has jurisdiction in that committee, and he doesn't want to talk about anything about that.
2: Nothing yeah, about that. that's exactly right. Judiciary Committee has his broad jurisdiction and really important weighty stuff, but to not even bring it up and talk about it, things like COVID, the border. I uh, I mean it's, it's crime. You would think How the judiciary DRJ, committee would talk about crime. crime. Yeah. Yeah, we're not we don't have time in the judiciary committee to talk about crime. Just doubling of the homicide rate in some of our biggest cities that happen to be run by Democrats. We wouldn't want to talk about that. All right. I I want to kind of go around the horn with you though cuz there's a lot happening in the world. Um and there's some big dates coming up. Um you know, the the president's supposed to be out there announcing who his new Supreme Court pick will be. That's going to happen supposedly in the next seven days based on his own timeline. But then we also had the March 1st State of the Union. Um, and, Congressman, I don't know what in the world Joe Biden is going to do on March 1st is stand up and try to say, hey, you know what? Here's all of our accomplishments. This may be the <laughs> shortest State of the Union speech we've ever heard. Well, it, it, the
10: substance will be short, but it might be long with just meandering and and some statements, you know, where he kind of loses his way as he's talking, and and there, there's really not a lot to say about what he's accomplished. Uh, I mean, unless you're happy with the border, if you're uh, happy with uh, you know inflation, bad economy, if you're happy with a wrecked uh, supply chain, if you're happy with uh, 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 basically embarrassing, embarrassment internationally. Uh, I mean,
2: it just, it goes on and on how they've emasculated the country in just just a year's time, Jason. Yeah, I, I think it's stunning how quickly, I heard uh, President Trump uh, made some comment somewhere, or at least I read about it, where he said, yeah, I didn't think the country would get this bad this fast under what uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are actually doing, but um, here we are uh, Nancy Pelosi and others are talking about putting a fence uh, back up and around the Capitol in advance of the uh, of the State of the Union. What What are your thoughts about that?
10: I think it's ridiculous. Um, you know, there's again, they they just kind of make up stuff, you know. And they said, "Well, there may be a threat. There may be a threat." I don't, I don't, we don't know that there's anything substantive at all. But I mean, look, these are the same people that still won't let us take people on tours these are the same people that uh, authorize spying on members of congress their staff and and visitors looking through emails et cetera. i mean w- what you have going on is is typical of an authoritarian uh, type of tyranny you know this kind of uh, grab control and hold it and and sticking up a fence around the, the capitol again jason is just a bad symbol to the world bad symbol to the american people and quite frankly unnecessary
2: Well, it's the people's house, and uh, we need to have access to it, and they need to be able to have access to their members of Congress, and there's no reason why a family from, you know, Mesa, Arizona, coming together to come see their congressman, you, uh, and you can't get one of your staff or interns to go take them on a nice little tour and look at the history of what's going on, maybe go visit some of the committee rooms. Um, it, It really is a shame that that's the direction that they're talking about going. Um, Jason, we can't even have a committee hearing in the committee room. So, I mean, that's that's how it's fallen. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. Another member was telling me that there are some members that haven't been to Congress, they haven't been to D.C. in like a year or two because they just do their proxy voting. That's exactly right.
10: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Every time that their proxy vote is read, they talk about, well, um, I'm excusing myself because I've got a, a covid related uh situation but th- that's not true I I mean is that why you're uh, you're vacationing on a boat somewhere in the in you know, on a lake and you're you're appearing by a boat
2: you know Yeah there was crazy. one member of the Democratic Party who stood up and <laughs> wasn't wearing quite the appropriate clothing for a committee hearing, but uh, you'll have to yeah. look that one up by yourselves. All right, let's get into some of the other weighty issues that are out there. Let's talk about Canada. We were, you know, the Freedom Convoy, the way the prime minister of Canada, whoa, I mean, that has been adequate. I mean, that looks like something that would come out of a, a real hard line regime like, you know, Russia or China or something, not the prime minister of Canada. Right,
10: exactly right. I
2: mean, so, so the face of it was the, the violence that we saw
10: coming down uh, over the last couple of days while they, they're moving these truckers out. But but don't forget, too, they, they first uh, talked about seizing cash. They've now said that they're going to go after everybody who was there. They arrested people uh, simply for bringing food into the truckers. I mean, this kind of uh, uh, prohibition on freedom to, of assembly, freedom to speak, and and the way he couched it, I mean, you know, he called a Jewish member of parliament a Nazi. He, uh, you know, this is Trudeau I'm speaking of, and then, and the Trudeau referring to all these people simply as racists, Trump supporters. I mean, uh, what does being a Trump supporter mean in Canada? Who knows what that means in Canada? I, I
2: don't. I don't I don't know like what that his means. golf courses? What? what I mean, <laughs> his beautiful <laughs> hotels. I mean, that's the problem you got with the the former president. Um, Look, they would take your dog or your pet. I mean, you know, these truckers, I don't know if, I mean, you've probably been, I I have, you'd look in the cab and, the, you know, these truckers, you can imagine a trucker in Canada, long haul distances, they pull over, take a rest, sleep. They may have a dog or a cat with them or something like these people are coming in and taking their animals and say, if you have eight days to bail them out, otherwise we're going to euthanize them. I mean, what kind of, where's Pete on that one?
10: Yeah, yeah. Where where is the left on this? They should have been rising. I mean, actually, some some folks on the left are starting to comment, but I mean, the left should be rising with with the right on this because this this what you saw is the tyranny that we're all we we all do not want to see happen. I mean, it's abusive, and um, you know, it's outside the rule of law. I mean, he actually imposed the type of uh, emergency measures that you would see if you were under a terrorist attack that's yeah.
2: that's where this guy was going and it
10: was it was ruthless quite frankly
2: well and this is the same Justin Trudeau who marched with BLM uh, protesters and who also supported um these protesters who locked down pretty much the the uh for a year in India uh he was totally fine with that but boy when it happens in Ottawa whoo that's a bridge too far because it might be embarrassing to me and and these all these mandates and that he's that he's putting in place and oh heaven forbid they actually get out and talk to these truckers have them come over and and uh, you know talk uh, talk through the issues um, uh, Congressman I've got you a short amount of time I want to keep going around the horn because we got other things happening you represent the good state of Arizona immigration I mean we've been talking about this since the moment Joe Biden even before he took office, try to articulate and explain to people who maybe aren't in a border state how bad it is.
10: Okay. I'll give you just a couple, three data points. Number one, Uh, you had four times as many people apprehended in January of this year as you had just a year ago, the last month of Trump's administration, 153,000. Of those, they released more than 60,000 of them into the country. They just released them into the country. Uh Um, Another data point is information I just received last week from from Sheriff Lamb, who I think you know, down in in, do. in Pinal County they have seized over 20 million fentanyl pills is what uh, <laughs> last year and they believe they got maybe 10% of the fentanyl excuse me they they seized two million they believe they 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 only got about 10% so you're talking about 20 million fentanyl pills of which DEA has said 40% are lethal contain a lethal dose so that's that's a, an important thing to understand and then i guess the third thing is to understand that that we are on pace already this this calendar year to exceed the 2 million that we had last calendar year of illegal alien apprehensions with probably another 6 to 800,000 gotaways that's what you're looking at um in a in a nation overwhelmed and and you know that's that would put you in the top 10 in largest cities in the country uh, just those people coming in
2: well, it re- it really is stunning and it's so, you know, it, it, to hear Joe Biden and Kamala Harris out there talking about protecting the uh, territory and the sovereign border of Ukraine while mm-hmm. not addressing what's going on in our own border north and south, by the way. Um and not even protecting and inviting essentially people into the United States and then once they're here, you know, put them on airplanes allowing them to use documents to, you know, to get on airplanes that are like arrest documentation, that kind of—I mean, it's just so absurd and it's offensive, but it's very real. I mean, these people are coming into the country now; they have no paperwork. They can't do—you uh, know—they're going to need food, they're going to need shelter, they're going to need a job, they're going to need all these things. It just puts more pressure on on good, tax-paying Americans. Yeah, yeah, and everything from your from your education
10: system to your medical care system to to your judicial system your justice system all those things get taxed uh and, and strained and uh it it it's amazing to me i mean we we're not even going to scratch the surface of the inhumane conduct uh you know the other data point that was given to me uh last week was that uh we're still we're almost up to 75 80% is estimated of all women coming across are um are raped and and uh, sheriff lamb told me his deputies encountered a, a lady and she had a bag of pills and they said what's what's that what are the pills for and she said these are morning after pills i uh, expected to be raped multiple times while coming across the border that's even after paying the cartels and so she brought those pills that is not an aberration that's not yeah. an aberration it is inhumane and yeah it is it is, position, it is it is
2: it is it is human trafficking and um, and I think that the the, the, uh, the Biden Harris administration is complicit in that. I really do. And, uh, but I wish the Judiciary Committee would actually have a hearing on it. But no, heaven forbid, uh, Jerry would do that. All right, last topic yeah. for you, Congressman, is uh, and again, you're on the House Judiciary Committee. Crime. We've seen this wave of crime, a surge of crime. We've also seen a wave of prosecutors who are electing not to enforce certain laws and that is exacerbating the problem. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And um
10: we, we had a hearing last week. I'm I'm the ranker on the on the crime subcommittee, Jason, and we had a hearing last week and the two Republican witnesses were trying to raise that issue and just say, let's can we can we talk about what the DAs are doing how about the no cash bail, letting people out to go commit additional crimes? And we're seeing that all over the place. And you have places like Tucson, Arizona, highest homicide rate ever, and uh, these these DAs are letting these folks out to commit these crimes. Uh, they're, uh, you know, the LA County is just a, a mess. You got yeah. the Sheriff who's trying to enforce the law, and you got Gascoyne, you know, the the DA, who says we're not going to prosecute, <laughs> and she. Well, what does that tell you? It, it it, it, smash and grabs all over the place now because, you know, places like San Francisco, as long as it's under a thousand bucks, we'll let you can come in and steal whatever you want. We're not going to prosecute
2: you. No, it's sad. It's avoidable. And this is uh, these are self-inflicted wounds. All of the things we talked about, we didn't even get into Ukraine and some of the other pressing topics. But Congressman Andy Biggs from the good state of Arizona, thank you so much for joining us today on the Brian Kilmeade show. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Keep doing the good work you're doing, too, please. Well, thank you. Thank you. We'll be back right after this. Stay with us.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, it's actually Jason Chafetz. I'm filling in for Brian today. He is one of the hardest working people in all of television and radio. Uh, call in line here in the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. Let's go to Eric, who's in Orlando listening on WWDBO. Eric, what's on your mind?
12: How are you today, sir? Fired up. Yeah, me too. Um, You're allowed to loot up to $1,000, but don't get caught putting in $600 in your checking account. Kind of makes the move to get rid of cash make sense, doesn't it? Um, We miss you in Congress. We miss Trey Gowdy in Congress. But I think your podcasts are way more powerful, addressing more people, because nobody watches C-SPAN anymore.
2: Um, (laughs) I I I used to joke— I used to joke, though, well, yeah, I used to host the the number one show on C-SPAN when I chaired the Oversight Committee. But, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Eric. I, I, Thank you. I, I, was I appreciate wondering,
12: it. I was wondering if you saw Marjorie Taylor Greene recently on a podcast with another sitting congressperson. I couldn't remember his name. But if you were still in Congress, guys like you and Trey Gowdy, true patriots, you'd be appalled because apparently she's taking turns with four other congresspeople, making sure they're on the floor to make sure that the votes are recorded. And she's getting yelled at by her own party, too, that, hey, what are you doing? We want to go home. So just like you said, where people are proxy voting and haven't been there for a year, if the American people saw what was going on, and I fear that Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're probably going to primary her and try to get her out of – because she's – but she's a true patriot. She's telling us, we the people, what's going on, and it's just
2: I'm, – I'm sure you're glad to not be part of it anymore, and thank well, you for well, everything you've done for us. Well, thank you. I I really do appreciate it. It's an honor and privilege to serve, but you're right. There are a lot of people that want to just go to the floor, have it voice voided out, which means that they they would just uh, allow the vote by unanimous consent. And it's kind of the lazy way to do it because you don't have to actually vote. Um, And, um, you know, people like uh, Thomas Massey. We were going to vote on the, one of the biggest appropriations in the history of our nation, and everybody was back home, and and they wanted to just voice it. And he said, "No, we got to get, be here and do our job." Oh my goodness, did he take a bunch of heat on both sides of the aisle for that? So yeah, that's what's the problem when the when Congress isn't doing it by regular order, going through the appropriations and uh, process the proper way, the budget process. Has it only has only happened once since 1976 budget act. Has it gone through the normal way? It's always been CRs and omnibus and it's wrong. Stay with us. It's the Brian Kilmeade show. We'll be right back.
1: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: And I bet you're thinking, hey, that's not Brian Kilmeade. And you're right. Uh, I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian. Um, This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, and there's a lot to talk about. Um, I'm thrilled to have on Amy Kellogg, who's joining us. She's the Fox News senior foreign affairs correspondent. Um, she just uh, came out with a piece a couple of days ago, Russia, who is winning the propaganda war over the Ukraine conflict, and uh, has an update on some of the things that are happening there at the the White House. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: Hi, Jason. Thanks for the invitation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, what's the National Security Council? I believe they were convening, right?
9: It was extraordinary, Jason. It just wrapped up, well, public part of it anyway. I assume they're still talking, but um, it really appeared to be completely staged. It it was President Putin saying that he wanted to make a decision, felt forced to make a decision about whether or not to recognize as independent these self-declared people's republics in the east of Ukraine. These are the republics that Russia has been backing for the last eight years. Russia denies that it has troops in there, but they are Russian backed separatists. And and yeah, there are Russian troops there. Anyway, he listens to each of his loyal foot soldiers, his foreign minister, his defense minister, head of KGB, foreign intelligence, uh, various lawmakers, and each gave a presentation about why it was important to do this, because these people, these Russian-speaking people in the eastern part of Ukraine, were either facing genocide, at the very least harassment, and that the only solution was to recognize them. And in the past several years, Russia has given out three-quarters of a million passports to these people, so they can now really argue that they are protecting their own people. And Putin concluded this extraordinary meeting. Uh, I mean, we've not seen Russians don't debate their stuff publicly, uh, with with the conclusion that at some point today he is going to make a decision about whether or not to recognize these republics, and that will be uh, a huge provocation, a violation of the Minsk agreements, which are sort of part of the whole package that could be the peaceful resolution to this horrible standoff, Uh, and it is not clear how the West will respond, Jason.
2: Does that give an indication that he's not intending to take over the entire country? I mean that he may or may not well, go into Kyiv or or is does that give us some sense that he's just interested in certain parts of Ukraine like he was with Crimea earlier?
9: Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm thinking. And and remember earlier on when President Biden suggested that there could be little incursions versus big incursions, and that would determine the Western response. And then obviously he had to backtrack on that. This might be considered a lesser incursion because a war has been going on there for eight years. I mean, they're already there, basically. However, uh, this would be a very this would be upping the ante considerably. And I don't know what, what the end game would be. But Presumably, it is um, it is Russia creating this buffer, or maybe a, a slow and kind of stealthier can, it, incursion into Kiev or into Ukraine. Um, however, it is you know it is quite it was quite extraordinary to listen to these arguments, and it is extraordinary to listen to these arguments that Kiev is a fascist regime. I just you know, Jason, I don't get that, and I am not sitting in Kiev, and I've not been in Western Ukraine. I've, I've not been in Ukraine in many, many years. But to me, it seems implausible. I mean, President Zelensky is Jewish. I don't think Russia has ever elected a Jewish president. Um, I don't know. I don't think. But my point is just that it seems like some of these arguments are quite far-fetched. There are neo-Nazi groups in Russia and across Europe and in the United States, for that matter. So I'm not trying to... Um, distance ourselves entirely from some of the darker movements that are going on in the world. But I just find it, I just find it such an improbable argument to make when you're talking about messing with the sovereignty of a country.
2: Well, you know, Ukraine is not a democracy, but I think what I've seen with President Xi and, and president, um, and, and with Vladimir Putin is this move to kind of envelope in the word democracy that they think they are also a democracy. They just loosely throw that around. I mean, these are some of the most strident dictatorships that there are. Um, but they use that loosely to try to, I think, confuse people with all these different titles and whatnot. But what, when you look at Ukraine and what Putin is trying to do, I mean, look, he went in, he took about 25% of Georgia, really no repercussions. There were some sanctions, but no big deal. Um, You had Putin go in and take the Crimea area. Barack Obama, Joe Biden said, oh, we're going to put in sanctions. Really didn't end up being the deterrent that, oh, my goodness, I'll never do that again because it was so devastating to me. What is he trying to accomplish by taking on more of Ukraine?
9: First of all, Jason, all of our deterrent sanctions that we're teeing up, seem not to be threatening to him. He, he, Putin and his entourage don't appear to think that that it's going to wreck their economy. They slowly over the years have been working on their domestic industries and, and agriculture, and probably they are wrong that it's not going to have a huge impact. But the prime minister got up today and, and said, um, look, we understand there are risks, but we've got it covered. So that doesn't answer your question entirely, but I find it interesting the extent to which the threat of sanctions does not seem to worry them and the leadership. And and even more than that, they seem to almost welcome an opportunity to make Russia more independent um, or self-sufficient. In terms of taking Ukraine, you know, I really don't know. Um, first of all, I have to say that I'm a huge um, Russophile in the sense that I studied Russian. I, I I studied here when I was a university student and I've, I, I go back and forth and I absolutely love the Russian people um, and yet what's happening with each year is increasingly worrying in terms of the crackdowns on, on freedom of, of expression and, and freedom of the press and whatnot. Um, but in terms of Ukraine it's just I don't think any Russians want to see a war and I don't obviously Ukraine doesn't want a war. And I I think that the jury is out. Does he, does he really just want to stop NATO expansion or does he really want to snatch Ukraine? And that I think is hard to, to guess because if he goes in and tries to take the whole country, he's going to be dealing with such a hostile population in most parts of the country and guerrilla warfare and NATO armaments. I mean, there's an anti-tank missile in the hands of the Ukrainians for every Russian tank. So it's The cost would just be so high. I can't imagine why any incursion at all would be worth it to him. However, a lot of people say it's a romantic and an emotional thing for for Putin and for many people in his inner circle that Ukraine be basically bound to Russia in one way or another.
2: Well, and some of the experts that I've heard uh, talk about this, talk about how Vladimir Putin believes in the last hundred years one of the worst things to ever happen on the face of the planet, is the breakup of the Soviet Union and that it is his long-term goal to envelope and bring that back together and build that strength of not just Russia but the Soviet Union itself. And the other part of it is um, it's so much about energy and power and expansion of his his borders. Let's play this clip from the former energy secretary to Donald Trump, uh, the former governor of Texas, Rick Perry, uh, cut 11.
11: President Trump. He understood that uh, if you want to be strong from a national security standpoint, you make sure that you have the fossil fuels that will keep our military uh, fueled. When it comes to Europe, uh, we were sending the message that we were going to supply them with the liquefied natural gas, uh, that we were going to be a steadfast supplier to Europe, that the Russians would never be able to hold them hostage again the way they did uh, Ukraine with a couple of winters. Uh, previous to the Trump administration. And you can bet that's going to happen again. Putin's going to cut off the the, the the fuel to to Europe. Uh, when he wants something, he just basically will s- squeeze the supply down. And,
2: and that's the concern, is that um, rising fuel prices help Putin. They also help the Iranians as well, because they're basically gas stations. That's their number one uh, economic drivers. So the rise in gas and fuel price is good for them. Um, but it is about energy. And when Joe Biden decided, hey, we're not going to be energy independent, guess what, folks? Um, there's a consequence to that. And it empowered Russia.
9: Yeah, it's a, it's already a huge problem for Europe, Jason. There, are, uh, Anecdotally, I've barely been in Italy where I live in the last month, but um, there's. Uh, I keep hearing stories that certain factories are either going under or pausing production because they can't afford the cost of energy, and that's now, um, and that's because of this situation. I asked some. I have asked some people who are sort of in the know here. They are maybe not in Putin's inner circle, but they are close to the government, and I've asked if if these. Heightened energy prices, or revenge for what's going on so far, and they said no. But if Russia were our friend, it would open up the taps and get some extra energy into the market. Um, yeah, I don't even know where you begin unpicking the whole energy story because there's there's Ukraine, and also their their economy depends on some of the transit of gas through through their country. There's Nord Stream two. There's European dependence. There's political pressure about. You know, <laughs> fossil fuels in the United States, it's, it's hard to sort of pick it all apart and figure out the best way forward. But right now, Europe is really in a hard place, looking at a potential furthering of this crisis and, uh, and energy.
2: Um, uh, last thing that, that, and thank you so much for joining us, Amy. We're speaking with Amy Kellogg, the Fox news senior foreign affairs correspondent here on the Brian Kilmeade show. Um, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris uh, made her very first trip to Europe. Um, she gave a little bit of a word salad answer on some of these, uh, you know, will sanctions work. I thought Vladimir Putin had already made up his mind. Maybe he didn't make up his mind. It's been a little bit all over the map. Uh, so is the president, I, I from my perspective. How was that received? Was it an issue? Um, it, it, how does Europe and... And uh, Russia and certainly the people in um, Ukraine, how did they receive the vice president?
9: Well, to be honest, they're more focused on the president. I haven't heard what I haven't heard anyone commenting on Kamala Harris. Basically, at this point, the situation is so tense. Just now I was listening to the kapos, you know, the big guy sitting with Putin speaking about how the only person that matters is President Biden to them. NATO doesn't matter. Um, the EU doesn't matter. Nobody matters. It's, well, Washington, which I guess is Harris as well, but I think it's really um, about President Biden. And people have said, Jason, that Putin only understands the language uh, the language of force. But I spoke to someone today in his Duma in the, in the parliament and said that he actually fought I it was an analyst, I'm sorry, but he knows this, the landscape. Well, he said he actually thought that he would have an interlocutor with um, with with Biden. He thought that Biden might be willing to work with him on the NATO expansion and, and that's not the case. So so we are where we are, but I think, you know, it's really hard to know what Putin is planning to do next and where this goes from here. I just think that um, this has been brewing for so many years and Putin is probably you know, the the rhetoric, whether it was from Harris or anyone else, it was unified coming out of Munich. People were were very, very hard on Russia and Putin and what's going on and the message was was tough. And I think that really offended him. And I don't know whether that will have a good effect ultimately or whether it will make him dig in more. But uh there was a lot of talk about that last night on the talk shows here.
2: Interesting, interesting. Amy Kellogg, Fox News uh, Senior Foreign Affairs Correspondent. Thank you so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: Thanks, Jason.
2: Thanks again. Really do appreciate it. Stay with us. uh, The call in number 866-408-7669 is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you
1: everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Well, thanks, America, for uh, listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian. But we want to get to the uh, the phone lines and go out to Dwayne, who's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, listening on KRMG. Dwayne, what's on your mind? What's your thought? Uh, Yeah, Jason, thanks for having me.
5: I was wanting to talk about the midterms coming up. Uh It it seems to me every everything I've listened to as far as on uh, conservative talk shows and Fox News Network and even politicians that you have on, everybody talks like uh, the midterms are a sure thing for the Republicans to take over power of Congress. And uh, we all know how the Democrats can't put anything past them, especially after the 2020 election and uh, i just think that if we think it's a sure sh- shoe in then i think we're being a little naive even the, the talk about the uh 20 some democrats that aren't running again well that's not a sure thing for us either so well, i just think we need to be a little more <laughs> uh you know, a little more up on it and, and keep an eye on it a little
2: better. Well, Dwayne, I'm glad you brought this up because you're you're exactly right. Look, never put it past the Republicans to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. You know, um, it, look, the polling is all showing that the Democrats are upside down. Joe Joe Biden, Kamala Harris have about the worst poll numbers you've ever had uh, since they began. um you know, dinosaurs started roaming the earth. So their numbers could not be worse. Their policies are failing. The economy is doing poorly. Inflation is here. Foreign policy is, I mean, look at what we've been talking about. But I do think that Republicans have to be more than just, hey, we're the other people. Uh, They got to show that if they're going to be the adults in the room, they need to have a proactive agenda that people can get excited about. Uh, the poll numbers don't get so bad for Democrats unless they lose independents and Democrats. And so um, what is it that is going to be in the Republican agenda that doesn't just uh, please somebody uh, like an Andy Biggs from the Freedom Caucus, but what is it going to be that's going to appeal to the person who is an independent, who leans left, who maybe did vote for Joe Biden? Those are the types of uh, people and agenda items and I think there are a lot of good 80% type issues that are good, safe territory. But I think Republicans not only need to announce and campaign on that proactive agenda, but then they actually need to do it. And, and if they actually did it, I think it would surprise America. Because all, for, all too often, uh, you know, there's all this touting and, you know, raise, you know, hey, we're going to do this or that. And then they don't actually do it. And so they got to actually do it and back it up. And if Republicans do that, I think you're going to see a major switch, not only in the House, but in the United States Senate. And that will change the trajectory of our country. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for joining us.
1: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for the one, the only, the Brian Kilmeade uh, honored privilege to be able to have the microphone uh, today. Uh, We got some fun, interesting stuff, lively discussion. There's always a lot of news happening. And uh, I want to get right after because uh, the guest that I have is uh, one of the more fascinating people in just downright nice guys in uh, in the United States Congress. I served in the Congress for eight and a half years, and uh, I got to serve part of that with Lee Zeldin. And Lee is the uh, candidate for Republican candidate for governor out of New York. He serves on the House Financial Services Committee. He's also been on the foreign is on the Foreign Affairs Committee, um, and uh, just a good family guy. He's got these beautiful girls. Uh, his wife and, and two daughters, and uh, Lee, Zeldin, Congressman, so thrilled that you would join us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: Oh, It's great to be with you, Jason. I happen to be with Diana and the girls, and they say hello.
2: Well, I might have you just turn over the phone. We might as well talk to Diana and the girls because I guarantee <laughs> you if I got your daughters on the line one of these times I'm going to do that, it would be far more entertaining than anything that dad has to say. Oh, my gosh, for sure. That's, uh, <laughs> the ratings would be through the roof on that debut. <laughs> All right, we, we'll have to tee that up for another time. But, girls, thanks for bearing with Dad here while it's a little bit quiet because we got to talk about crime in New York City is where we're going to kick things off. I saw this uh, statistic on Fox News uh, earlier today that the in the subways – uh, there have been 27 incidents just this year. It's an increase of 35%. There were at least eight attacks in the subways this past weekend. What is going on in New York, and how are you going to solve that if you become the governor? The criminals are in charge of the streets.
8: Down in the subways, you have basically have seen one party, Dem Rule, in New York City and Albany, handcuffing justice instead and from cashless bail, which needs to be repealed in New York to district attorneys like the new Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg refusing to enforce the law, you have criminals who are emboldened. I believe that any district attorney who refuses to enforce the law should be removed. The governor has the constitutional authority here in the state of New York to be able to do that. The defund the police movement was something that successfully resulted in, for the advocates, they were able to take a billion dollars out of the NYPD's budget. Now, that might be successful for them because that's what they're asking for, but it's uh, unsuccessful for the people who actually want to see the NYPD and other law enforcement having the support they need to do their job safely and effectively. Uh, I could give so many different examples. One last one is they signed a new bill called Less Is More. Kathy Hochul, when she was signing the bill, to release criminals early from prison, she released 191 people from Rikers Island. A whole bunch of them right away went right back out and committed additional offenses. Uh, so I just believe that we need to unapologetically back the blue. If somebody does something wrong, you know, they, they get held accountable, whatever occupation they're in but make sure that you respect the inherent right of self-defense of law enforcement. They have all the resources they need to do their jobs. We repeal cashless bail. We hold the prosecutors accountable to uphold their oath. And that's when we can have a conversation on a Monday morning and we can be celebrating
2: the progress in cleaning up our streets. Well said, I, you know, it's just stunning to me that the current governor of New York, she just will not engage on this topic. And, how you can ignore victims, how you can ignore the the good, decent, honest people of New York, the visitors that are coming to New York, the reputation that New York as a state and a city is just getting pummeled right now because people just don't want to go there. They don't want to go see the shows. They don't want to go see go to the restaurants. They don't want to just go visit upstate and the beauty that is New York. Uh, they just don't want to do it because... Everything you read about it, crime is just going the absolute wrong direction. And I don't know how in the world anybody could get elected by not supporting law enforcement, trying to say it's a vital part of our economy, it's a vital part of our society, and if there's somebody out there doing something wrong, we're going to get rid of them. But by and large, these people are doing things and saving lives and saving uh, our society from just dropping into the hands of people who want to do nefarious things.
8: Yeah, I put a proposal on my website at zeldinfornewyork.com slash secureourstreets, a couple dozen proposals that, you know, some of which we just discussed, a whole bunch of other ideas that would make our streets safer. Now, Kathy Hochul yesterday put on her social media feed uh, that she will do everything in her power to make our streets safer, except – She's As you just pointed out, she's refusing to do a whole bunch of what needs to get done to actually accomplish that. She uh, says that we should cut Alvin Bragg some slack, that he just got into the job and that he's doing his job. With Castle's bail, she says she needs to see the data. You need to see the data. How about you just count the amount of press clippings of people who got released on Castle's bail and then went out and committed additional offenses? Many times they get rearrested on murder charges. So if you need data, you have it right in front of you. And then you you talk about people not wanting to come to New York State, and that's a sad reality right now. The New York State's leading the country in population loss. And on top of it all, if you want to bring your family to New York City, and you're not even thinking about safety, if there are people who aren't, because their six-year-old will have to show their papers to prove that they have gotten the COVID shot in order to get into a restaurant or get into a museum or a movie theater. So there are many
2: different reasons why people aren't coming. Kathy Hochul, in my opinion, has to get fired November 8th. You know, it's classic to be able to say, well, i got to review the data. You were the lieutenant governor for years beforehand. It's not like you just showed up and you're, hey, I need a few days to get settled in. That was the whole point of being, anyway. Uh, let me move on to another topic. New York has proximity to Canada, and Canada is making the news for all the wrong reasons with uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I was uh, honored to guest host uh, Sean Hannity's program. Uh, Hannity on Fox News on Friday had a chance to interview this Harold Junker, who's uh, Uh, He's a trucker, and he's in Canada. Let's listen to clip clip 18, and I want to get your comments afterwards.
3: We're not giving up. They can try this. They can put an emergency act in on a peaceful protest, but we know we're in the right. We know that we're doing the right thing, and all he's done is try to agitate us with his comments in, in the House of Commons. He's disrespected every single Canadian by walking out of Parliament when there's a debate on this emergency act, and... Yeah, he's he's disrespecting it, our society and our democracy. It, it's it's so sad to see, but it's just given us more resolve to uh, stay firm, and and we're holding the line.
2: Congressman Zeldin, your your thoughts on what uh, the Canadian trucker had to say on Friday night? I have
8: a lot of respect and gratitude for so many people who are rising up uh, and getting active, mobilizing not just for themselves, but I I feel like they're doing it in many respects for Americans, too. I I mean, I was just talking about the six-year-old who has to show their papers. In New York State, two-year-olds are still spending their entire day all masked up. People are being fired from their jobs because they haven't gotten the shot, even if two weeks earlier they had COVID and Johns Hopkins says that they have a certain level of immunity. Uh, There's so many Americans who are watching these truckers, this Freedom Convoy in Canada, and they feel like these truckers are are speaking and fighting for them as well. Now, as far as Trudeau goes, uh, this is the type of a politician who I I can't stand here in our own country where there's this lust for power and control. Kathy Hochul is somebody like this as well, where they feel like public service Is where the public serves you as opposed to the other way around I think Trudeau is looking weak even though he thinks he's making himself look strong Uh, the way that he is paranoid over people having freedom this is the type of person in our own country I want to see as far removed from power as possible
2: You know, part of I see a parallel. I see the parallel of what Justin Trudeau and and the the heavy hand that they're doing. Well, not even willing to sit down and listen and visit with the truckers about their their grievances. And the idea that, you know, 90 percent of them are vaccinated. They just don't like the mandates and they don't like to have to do the quarantine with going back and forth over the border all the time. Um, Seems like something they should be talking about. And if it's going to be driven by the science, then, okay, Justin Trudeau, the burdens on you. If you're going to take away some freedom, you're going to have to show the science that supports that. But uh, they doesn't have that. Um, I, I see the parallel here with what's going on in the school boards because, again, talking about power, control, um, and I want to play this um, this clip. This is Alicia Vaught. Now she is just a mother in Virginia. And she decided to go to the school board, and she wanted to point out the hypocrisy. And in doing so, she pulled out a picture that was a public picture because they'd been posted on Facebook. And sure enough, listen to what the school board decided to do when she decided to point out the hypocrisy. Let's go to clip 24.
0: Here's a picture of you right here on Facebook with a crowd of people. That's it. With no mask on. Uh, this Excuse is my me? time, and I don't no. interrupt you. Here's another picture no. with you with a no mask on. I'm sorry, Ms. Vaught, you are done. Can we have a police officer, please?
4: No, he should be able to say her piece. Call I've had to listen to people come and criticize me. That
0: doesn't but make I, it right, Jamie. You're right, but I had to say... Those up. are my... That's my family? That is... All, then fine. What do you think about our family? I am not. Our family is being suffocated okay. today. I'm By done. I'm can have my We're coming for them. All of them.
2: Congressman, what's your reaction to that interaction? I mean, the school board member posts a picture on Facebook. That's his – you're making it public.
8: Yeah, the the whole point of pointing out that hypocrisy is meant to get a school board member to understand that these little kids inside of school are are forced to live a, a different life. Than the adult. if if these kids were allowed to vote, they would they'd be allowed to go through their day without masks on. And people who are imposing this when uh, they're with whether regardless, putting family aside, I mean, there I've been in places where the lieutenant governor, I was I was at an event. There was ten thousand people under a tent, dancing, singing, music. The lieutenant governor of New York, Brian Benjamin, was there, uh, and He's in a crowd, people all around him, and, you know, he's not wearing a mask. And I'm okay with – I mean, I'm okay with not wearing masks. I believe we should get rid of the mask mandates. you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But then right after that, uh, he's introducing the governor at the State of the State address to an empty empty assembly chamber, and no one's anywhere around him, and he's wearing an N95 <laughs> mask, and he refuses to take <laughs> the mask off because the, the cameras are rolling. So I think it's just key to point out the hypocrisy because – of the desperation these parents feel to end what is, in many respects, child abuse. When you think of the 3-year-old, the 4-year-old, who's maybe on the autism spectrum learning to speak, they can't see their teacher's face, the teacher can't see their face, they can't see the smiles of other kids in school, and you can't get those years back. So it's out of desperation
2: that people are pointing out the hypocrisy, and it's a good thing they're doing it. Well, I hope one of the things you're able to pursue there in Congress is get to get the Centers for Disease Control to release all of the data. Right now, they're cherry-picking, hand-picking. That's not the spirit in which a CDC, which works for the American people, should be doing and operating. And they should be giving that information so the entire scientific community can review it. And we can come to good, better conclusions. But for them to hide the data like I've been reading about, that's just an atrocity. Uh, congressman, I wish I had more time with you. I really wish I had some time to talk to your girls, but I don't. And so, uh, Lee Zeldin, Congressman from uh, New York, uh, is the first district of New York, Republican candidate for governor of New York. Thank you so much for joining us on the the Brian Kilmeade show.
8: Uh, you got it. Always love doing it. Take care, Jason.
2: Thanks to Lee Zeldin. We'll be back with more in a moment. Stay with us.
1: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Well, almost with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Jason Chaffetz, filling in for Brian. And, um,. Lots happening in the news, but, you know, every once in a while, the news gets it wrong. makes make mistakes. Heaven uh, knows I make quite a few mistakes. I'm sure you make some mistakes as well. But how you deal with them, I think, speaks volumes. Uh, you know, sometimes you just got to step up and say, hey, look, I made a mistake. Here's what I said. I didn't mean to do that. It was just kind of, whoops, an accident. But sometimes things happen in the national or traditional media that probably are just a little bit more than a coincidence. It wasn't just an accident. You know, like an accident is it, you know, you're at the store and a pallet falls over or something accidentally. You know, that's an accident. But when some of these other things happen, I don't think they're just accidents. Um, coming up after the break, we're going to have Byron York. Um, from the uh, from the Washington Examiner, coming. We're going to talk about some of these, but I'm going to highlight one before we get to them. And that is what the Washington Post did to Clarence Thomas, uh, Supreme Court Justice, historic Supreme Court Justice. Well, the Washington Post was quoting Bernie uh, Benny Thompson, the Democrat from uh, Mississippi, who's the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee. He said, quote, if you know that a person has been vetted by Jim Clyburn, you know that the person won't go to the court and end up being a Clarence Thomas. Well, that's his opinion. Um, But here's the problem. The Post added on to the quote a comment that mentioned the mention of Thomas was, quote, referring to the black justice whose rulings often resembled the thinking of white conservatives. Oh, my goodness. That is just totally out of control. Well, they got caught. It wasn't just an accident. And they had to issue a retraction um, saying, quote, a previous version of the story imprecisely referred to Justice Clarence Thomas opinions as often reflecting the thinking of white conservatives rather than conservatives broadly. That reference has been removed. Can you imagine having to write that kind of retraction? But who is thinking like that? They, a person is a person. It's like these are people. They just because I, how they try to segment and divide us, and to, to cast dispersion on somebody, and try to make it about race, and that he's not really a black person. I, it's just absolutely disgusting. It should never be. You know, you would think it should never be tolerated. It should always be called out. And for the Washington Post, who has just lost its way in in the recent recent ways, um, they have just gone so far off the rails in making error after error after error that are self-inflicted wounds. This wasn't just an accident. Like I said, an accident would be, oh, whoops, I... I misquoted him. I thought he said this, and he didn't. I played back the recorder, and I was wrong. It, it wasn't that at all. And it—you it, certainly, when you read what the Washington Post put out there, it wasn't like it was a heartfelt, "Oh, we really regret the error and should never have happened," and all that kind of stuff. It was—it was good that they did a clarification, but it was hardly an apology along the way. Stay with us. we got more and more examples of this as we talk about it on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back. Stay with us.
1: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
0: This new wrinkle, it really is just a wrinkle, and it's very vague. We're still trying to get a sense of what the facts are here. It does not show
8: the actual spying that, uh, that, that Trump and others are saying it does. If you're going to call it Watergate, it's that the security guard at the Watergate, while being paid to do security to see just who was coming in, doesn't mean they were going through their briefcases, doesn't mean it was going through the files that they were bringing in. If what they did had been illegal, we would have had a charge.
2: Wow, those are some of the comments related to the Durham probe that uh, popped out to try to justify that, hey, we shouldn't even be talking about that. But somebody who knows a bit about it and uh, thrilled to have on the show today, uh, Byron York, a chief political correspondent, Washington Examiner. He's a Fox News contributor, and he also wrote a book, a good one, called The Obsession. Inside Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Trump, certainly very applicable here. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmead, but Byron, thanks for joining me today.
11: Mr. Chairman, good to speak to you.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. I, that, that's in my rearview mirror, but uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I want to talk about a few of the things that are going on in Washington, D.C., because you're a keen observer of it. Um this Durham probe, it ain't going away, but even though it is moving forward, it is a U.S. attorney with court filings, the so called mainstream media, traditional media, whatever you want to call it, they just don't cover the story.
11: No, actually, um, I actually wrote this, but when the Durham probe, uh, when the Durham filing came out, the one that listed this data mining operation, came out on a Friday. Anybody who knows anything about the big media organizations knew, once it comes out, once Fox News begins reporting it, once the Washington Examiner begins reporting it, and most especially once Donald Trump starts talking about it, their first impulse is going to be, how can we knock this down? Yeah. And so normally a news organization, when there's news that breaks, say, in a legal filing, they report the news. They do a story reporting what happened. And then they might do one or more analysis pieces, follow-up pieces, commentary pieces. But uh, to take the New York Times for an example, they were pretty representative. They just skipped the news part and went straight to the analysis part and described how wrong this was. Um, but, you know, it's it's pretty clear that uh, Hillary Clinton, after having commissioned the dossier, she being basically the person responsible for the Steele dossier, after having done that, um, has the, this data operation going that is searching for some through private, proprietary, non-public information, trying to find some sort of tech link, a computer link, between Trump. And Russia, which she could then feed to the FBI, and in one case to the CIA, and then to the press in hopes of getting this out and damaging Trump and winning the election. So that's what the news is. It's pretty significant.
2: Well, she didn't win the election, obviously, but she did do a darn good job of getting it out there in the, the ecosphere, they get it out there and have this – constant Russia, Russia, Russia that went on for basically five years and even continues to this day.
11: Yeah, I, I, I pointed out in my new newsletter today some of these, these projects did outlive the campaign. Nice. Um, obviously, she didn't get the dossier into the public conversation like she wanted to before the election. Um, she did, even though it was kind of a joke if you read it, she got the FBI to take it very seriously. And they... They investigated it. They used it to um, get a wiretap warrant for for Carter Page. Uh, The FBI wanted to include the dossier in the intelligence community assessment of Russian efforts to influence the 2016 election. And then uh, the big hit came. Um, In January 2017, Trump is president-elect. James Comey, the other intel chiefs, go to New York to brief Trump on the intelligence community uh, assessment. And then uh, Comey asks for a a little one-on-one meeting after the briefing, and that's where he briefs Trump on the dossier, the what's what's called the P tape um, uh, allegation in the dossier that Trump watched while there was this kinky sex act going on in a Moscow hotel room, and Russian spy cameras captured the whole thing on video, and then that leaks to the press. And then, boom, we're off and running. So, Clinton, you know, I I do think the dossier could probably be called the most successful dirty trick um, in political history.
2: Yeah, no, you still have far too many people that think it's real and that there was some sort of evidence of it. But after the Mueller probe and And they all have
11: shows on MSNBC, as a matter of fact,
2: (laughs) that is evidently the stair step. So, yes. Um, I, I, let's switch gears here. Uh, we want to hit a couple topics while we got you. Um, Nancy Pelosi and others talking about putting a fence around the Capitol again. How do you think that's going over, and is there any justification for this?
11: Not that I'm aware of. Um, I agree that, I mean, the idea is that she's worried that there's going to be some sort of Canadian trucker style protest. Um, And in Washington, and so they have to put up a fence a la what was put up after uh, January 6th. You know, the the Biden inauguration on January 20th, 2021 was conducted in kind of military-like atmosphere. There were double rows of fencing then. This huge area around the Capitol was off limits to the public. And then there was an inner fence. So now they want to put some of that up again. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, you know, I think it would be relatively easy to direct, uh, you know, a protest into a designated area. I mean, a city should not give itself over to protesters. Um, on the other hand, there are uh, rights of, of speech and assembly to respect as well. And uh, I think the city can do that without putting a fence around the Capitol.
2: Yeah, I mean, they always redirect traffic hours and hours and yeah. hours before a State of the Union. Um, I mean, that's just commonplace. People just avoid the city, and they know that, um, especially, you know, being able to block a truck with just some police cars and whatnot should be, should do the trick. But I, I hate the idea of blocking off the, the, uh, the Capitol. And the idea that you can't even take a tour of the Capitol yet, that's just... I can't believe that that's still going on. All right, let's jump forward to March 1st. I think this is an important day um, for Joe Biden. He has a State of the Union. It's an opportunity to kind of get a reset and at least be able to talk, uh, you know, to America for a solid hour plus. I just worry that, you know, I, I think he benefits from such low expectations I'm fascinated to see what he thinks he's going to tout as his accomplishments in the first year of 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 his presidency. Um but I also think he's got a tall tall order to try to reset in the face of, you know, the squad and the far left that doesn't, that thinks he's failing because he didn't didn't get uh some of these uh bills passed that are really ultra left.
11: Well, I I don't think in the long term and by that I mean, just the rest of this year. I don't think a reset is really possible. Clearly, some of Biden's advisors think he's going to display great leadership on Ukraine, uh, and that'll sort of recast him as a as a world leader, and people will forget about inflation or something. I don't I don't know exactly how they're thinking about it, but <laughs> yeah, I won't think about as, that when
2: I go to the grocery store. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
11: they view it as this opportunity to sort of recast him as a leader. First of all, you know, Ukraine is, is unlikely to be a happy story in any event. Um, and uh, I don't see that image of Biden emerging from this. The bigger thing is, um, it's very hard to turn things around. Biden did accomplish some some things in his first year. Remember, there was, early on there was the 1.9 trillion dollar quote COVID relief bill, covered a lot more than COVID relief. And then there was, in I guess it was August or September, there was the 1.1 trillion dollar. Bipartisan infrastructure bill, and then then he kind of ground to a halt. But he got a lot of spending in. That's three trillion dollars right there. And Democrats above the normal, you know, U.S. government spending. Democrats like that sort of thing. Um, the problem is because of the of the problems that we all know about uh, inflation, uh, the border, uh, all sorts of uh, you know uncertainty, unrest, on, and and wokeness, and all of this stuff. Uh, his approval rating is down in the low 40s. Gallup did a study and looked at presidential midterms and found that when the president has a job approval rating of 50 or above, the average loss of seats for that president in midterms was about 14. But when the president had a job approval rating of 50 or below below 50%, uh, the average number of seats lost was 37. Mm. In addition, Somebody else was doing some uh, uh, research, looked back at every midterm uh, since there's been polling, about 70 years, and found that no president, none, has substantially increased his job approval rating between February of the midterm year and the elections themselves. Interesting. Uh, In fact, they usually go down. Job approval usually goes down. So um, it's just incredibly unlikely that Joe Biden – can turn this around and be viewed as a really great president by November.
2: I I did not know that about the the polling numbers inevitably going down, but I think, yeah, there's probably tens of millions of dollars now raining down on the American people that are pointing out the flaws of a presidency, um, and that number inevitably gets worse and worse and worse. And, yep. you know, very few of these presidents actually kind of learn from their mistakes. I think Clinton probably learned from his mistakes, probably as as well as anybody. But um, and then actually got some some bipartisan things done after that. But the other thing that's but looming, he took a
11: big beating in
2: his midterm in 1994. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, it kind of forced to do it. Um, correct. And but he was at least cognizant enough to say, "All right, I got I got I got a whooping, and uh, now I'm going to uh, course correct here a little bit and work with people." I mean, the whole promise of Joe Biden was that he was going to work with people, and there's scant evidence that he actually has. All right, I want to scoot over to the Supreme Court because, uh, according to the president's timeline, he's going to announce somebody in the next seven days. Um, But that's certainly, I I, I mean, I don't know how people are going to react to it. We don't know who it is. We know what they look like. We just don't know uh, who it might be. Well,
11: I think the if, if people want the kind of close-notes version of this, the president is going to announce his nominee, all Democrats are going to support it. Maybe a Republican or two are going to support the nomination, and the nominee will be confirmed. I mean, you know, unless something blows up, unless there's some crazy person in her past, crazy incident or something in her past, which seems unlikely if they do the correct vetting um, – you know, Democrats are—they've—they've they've already, you know, sunk Biden's uh, agenda in terms of Build Back Better. Uh, they're not going to sink uh, a Supreme Court nomination, especially one that uh, we already know will be uh, devoted to an African American woman, first first African American woman to be on the court. Democrats are not going to stop that. So I have to tell you, I—I I, I don't think there's going to be. A whole lot of drama. Republicans will not launch some crazy, you know, suicide mission like Brett Kavanaugh, like Democrats did against uh, Brett Kavanaugh. So I, I kind of look this to this to be somewhat non-dramatic confirmation of whoever Biden picks.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think they're going to pull off about six Republicans. I think the five usual suspects, and then um, I think you're also if the if Joe Biden picks uh, the woman from South Carolina, they'll pick off uh, they'll pick off uh, uh, Lindsey Graham as well, and so that's why I'm saying I think it's five or six Republican votes, all the Democratic votes, and this person will sail through about I don't know September or so, right? And, yeah. uh, and yeah. be the, be uh, joining the court so uh, just in time while the Democrats still have all the levers of power and, and before they lose their control. Yeah, so no Armageddon
11: over the Supreme Court nomination now.
2: Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is just immigration. I, again, it's one of those topics that I've only got like 40 seconds or here or so, but it's just the type of thing that nobody in the mainstream or traditional media uh, handles. I mean, the Washington Examiner does it. Fox News does it. But there's just a handful of them.
11: It's incredible. Uh, Anna Giratelli does great reporting on it for the Washington Examiner. Bill Malugin does great reporting on it for Fox News. And that's about it. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, and the thing is, is that just because it's not being reported elsewhere it doesn't mean it's just not happening, it doesn't mean this flow. I mean, the flow in, in January of uh, the, the encounters of illegal border crossers in January of 2022 was roughly double what it was in Jan- of January 2021, which is roughly double what it was in January 2020. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's extraordinary what's going on. And just because most mainstream news organizations or legacy news organizations organizations don't want to uh, report on it doesn't mean it's not happening and Americans are noticing because there, there are government programs to relocate illegal border crossers all around the country, sometimes being done in the dead of night so that people won't know it, as if you can have hundreds of people you know show up in your relatively small community and nobody notices. Um, but this, this is a huge thing that's going on with the government. And by the way, it is the lowest single component handling immigration of Joe Biden's approval rating in the 30s right now.
2: Well, it should be. And if it got the coverage that it should, um, it'd probably be even lower than that. But um, that's all the time we have today uh, on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is uh, Byron York's been joining us, the chief political correspondent, The Washington Examiner, Fox News contributor, and wrote a fascinating book, Obsession Inside the Washington Establishment's Never Ending War on Trump. Byron, thanks so much for joining us on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: Thank you. Enjoyed it.
2: I appreciate it. He's such a good guy and a a fabulous writer. You should follow him. Uh, We'll be back with more of the Brian Kilmeade Show right after this.
1: The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy. He'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Actually, it's Jason Chaffetz uh, filling in for Brian Kilmeade. I really appreciate him entrusting me with the microphone while he's out today. Um, he'll be back soon, but uh, I really do appreciate it. He and I uh, get along just fine, and and uh, really honored that he would ask me to come sit in. and I hope you've enjoyed it. I want to give a little tip of the hat as we get near the end of the end of this. Uh, This hour here uh, to Elon Musk. Now, I don't know what you think of Elon Musk. I'm a great admirer of Elon Musk. I thought it was just uh, classic what he did. Uh, Here, Elizabeth Warren, uh, she said, quote, You know how much Elon Musk paid in taxes one of the richest people in the world? Zero. And he's not the only one. Jeff Bezos, another one. One of the richest people in the world. He pays less in taxes than public school teachers or a firefighter. Well, uh, she was a little premature on that because uh, in 2021, Elon Musk paid the single largest tax bill in the history of the United States over $11 billion. So, uh, Elizabeth Warren, you need to learn how the world works. Uh, When he makes money, then he pays taxes. And he paid a a bunch of them. And... I would also highlight what he said last time. We will visit the IRS next time in D.C. and just say hi. Since I paid the most taxes ever in the history for an individual last year, maybe I can have a cookie or something. I hope Elon Musk does go visit the IRS and does get at least a cookie. Thanks for paying so much in taxes, 11000000000 billion. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Thanks for, enjoy- Thanks for having us in your home.